Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Nate Timmons. And before we get to Nate, I have a few announcements. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see photos of our guests. You can see links to their social media. You can see stories that I've written. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page. Follow us on all those platforms. Give us a like on all those platforms if you can. There are links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. And uh, listen to us on wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe and please give us a good rating because it boosts our presence there and that helps more people find the show. So if you could do that, I'd appreciate it. If you want to write me with some travel questions or maybe you want to be on the show or you know somebody who'd be good for the show, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. And speaking of being on the show, and I'm not singling out Nate here by any means, this goes for everyone. This virus doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. It's going to be with us for a while. And since it is, all of us are going to be having a lot of uh, online conversations on Zoom, on FaceTime, and any other platform. And if you're doing this for work, or just in general, I will suggest getting a decent microphone that hooks into a USB connection that you can use for audio purposes, for interviews, for your own podcast, just to have, because the difference is enormous. And again, I'm not singling out Nate here, but, you know, it, um, audio is a big deal for an audio podcast. And uh, the more interviews I have to do, the difference between interviewing someone with a decent microphone on their end, even if it's a little lavalier mic or... Um, anything, a little snowball mic. And in the secondhand market on Craigslist and stuff like that, you can pick these up for next to nothing. It sounds so much better than the talking into the crappy microphone on your laptop or computer, which picks up all the ambient noise in a room and sounds like you're miles away. Now, we had some audio issues in Nate's interview, and right towards the end, the audio went out completely. We fired it up again, and he talked into his phone, which actually sounded better than talking into the microphone on his laptop. But this is a common problem I'm running into a lot. So for people who want to be on the show and who are thinking of being on the show, the difference between having a good mic on your end, which uh, I'm talking into the mic right now that I was using on the Zoom interview, and as you can see, it's a professional-sounding mic. And I'm not in some kind of fancy studio either. I'm just in my house. But it's a huge difference. This is the way of the world. Maybe I'm being too picky. Maybe I'm too old school. Just throwing it out there, everyone. Let's do it. Okay, that's the end of my grumpy old man rant. Let's talk about Nate. Nate Timmons is a nice kid from Michigan. I say kid because he's fresh out of college, and he wanted to see the country. And it also sounds like he grew up with a great dad, and he knows how fortunate he was to grow up with a great dad. So we came up with an idea to talk to fathers from around the country, one in each state, all from different backgrounds, and hang out with them and ask them about fatherhood. And he started this adventure in a 1985 VW Vanagon, that eventually made it to uh, around 34 states or so before it completely crapped out. And then he finished his journey on a bicycle. So we talk about that. I guess he still has uh, Hawaii to go, but uh, COVID has kind of hurt his chances on getting there right now. So that's been put on hold. But I like his idea and I like his spirit and I like his curiosity. And I'm glad I got a chance to meet him. You can find him at therealdadbook.com, that same handle on Instagram and Facebook. And you can see his story and the photos and the videos and follow along on his adventure. I'm glad he reached out to me. It was a pleasure to meet him. And it was great to hear his travel tales. Please welcome direct from Kalamazoo, Michigan, Nate Timmons. Where are you now? You're in Michigan? I am in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I know... You just said we weren't going to be doing this over uh, video, but if you've got the Michigan Mitt uh, 
lower left quadrant of Michigan. I know it well. I have uh, family in Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids. Oh, no way. Yeah, and Muskegon. Okay. Oh, I know oh, Michigan oh. well. <laughs> I played Kalamazoo back in my uh, comedy days. I'm from Chicago, so. Oh, okay. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know Michigan very, very well. Very um, good. So did you, you grew up there, I'm assuming? Born and raised. Spent the last uh, 25 years here. And I'm actually uh, getting ready for a cross-country move myself out to, uh, to Portland, Oregon. Portland? Yes. Okay, well, good. What a choice. You just... Uh, they're not not like they're in the news or anything. My my parents have asked multiple times if I pay attention <laughs> to world events or not. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. I was just in uh, Bend, Oregon. Okay. Uh, which you know, I'm sure you'll you'll become familiar with very soon. But it's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, Portland's great. You know, it, it you know it's having a rough patch, but so are a lot of cities, and so right. so is the whole country really having a rough patch. But right, right. I uh, yeah, I, I can definitely uh, see where where that would be the the case. <laughs> When's your move gonna happen? So I'll actually be moving out there October seventh. Uh, my girlfriend and I are doing a road trip out there October seventh, and then uh, we'll be moving in October tenth. So. We were actually uh, we were actually just out there this past weekend looking at apartments, and uh, the air quality index was the worst of any city in the world. Yeah. So you know what a what a way to start the adventure, you know. You could get some deals though. Well, and that's that's what we were uh, asking all the uh, all the leasing agents. We're like, all right, how many people are actually moving in? What kind of uh, what kind of deals can you get? The best we could swing was a month free. So. Yeah. Well, that's not that's not bad. That's not bad. We'll take Hopefully the smoke will have cleared by the time you get out. Hopefully. Uh, Hopefully. Yeah, just so uh, the road trip I just took, I just got back from Montana and Wyoming were my last, <sighs> my last two states. And Jealous. I checked out some of your videos. And first of all, we should tell people, um, give people the name of your website and the book you're writing and everything else you're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the website is therealdadbook.com. Um, I'm actually writing a book that I'm calling The Dad Book, 50 Dads, 50 States, as part of my own 50-state adventure. So what I've been doing for the last now year and a half is actually traveling to all 50 states and interviewing one dad from each state and putting those interviews into this book that I'm calling The Dad Book, 50 Dads, 50 States. Okay, so you're a young man. You're not a dad. Correct. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be the guy that asks you the obvious question. Why are you writing a dad book uh, when you know nothing about being a dad? Exactly. Exactly. And a totally fair question. I've been asked that probably more than any question I have in my entire life. So, um, yeah. So being uh, I started this when I was 23, uh, now 25. And um, that, that's definitely a question I get all the time. And, and for me, uh, kind of growing up, my dad was always the guy that I looked up to in my own life and wanted to emulate him as much as I could. Um, and then going to college, especially coming from a small town like Kalamazoo, you know, my entire high school career, it wasn't until my senior year that one of my close friends' parents actually got a divorce. And that was my first real um, encounter and interaction with somebody I knew whose parents were divorced. And then going to college and realizing, oh, people come from single parent households, mom that raised them, grandparents that raised them, and realizing, you know, how, how what I thought fatherhood was, you know, mom, dad, couple children, is not the case for everyone. And that doesn't mean that those people don't turn out to be successful contributing members of society, right? And I wanted to showcase that, you know, regardless of where you come from, regardless of your background, across the entire 50 states, you know, you can come from any fatherhood structure, and still turn out to be a successful individual, um, so long as your father is a you know a, a good beacon of light in your own life, right? So, I, I look at it through the lens of I am not a father, but I also don't have any biases towards what fatherhood should be. Um, in all the interviews, I basically tell the guys, "Hey, I'm not a dad. Teach me how you're a dad. Um, I don't want to you know tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing." What have you learned about fatherhood that you didn't know? before you started this? So I definitely think it was one of those where I had my own kind of preconceived ideas of what it meant to be a dad. You know, my dad's a construction guy. And if anything breaks in our house, I automatically go to him like, hey, dad, what do we do to fix this? And he snap with fingers, he's already got it fixed. Um, but really for me, it was this intentionality piece. And every dad and every guy that I've interviewed really brought that home, right? Where being an intentional father in your child's life. And it's so relatable to any, you know, wife, husband. It's not just fathers that should be intentional, but it's actually taking the time to step back and say, 
how can I be a good father to this child, right? So in a world where we're constantly, you know, on our cell phones, scrolling through Facebook, it's it's setting down the phone and it's actually taking the time to play with your child, teach them a life lesson, get them out of the house and go throw the baseball. Um, it's actually funny when I think of intentionality and, and an example of it, when I was on the road, um, I was in Tennessee staying with a family with a dad that I was interviewing there. And there was a lightning storm that had come through torrential rain, torrential downpour. Um, me and his wife were inside watching, you know, TV, just kind of hanging out. And he immediately, you know, sees the rain outside and he says, Huck, talking to his son, says, Huck, let's go outside. So he scoops him up. They both, you know, take off their shirts, run outside, play in the rain. Me and his wife are sitting there cracking up. We're like, those guys are crazy. Like, we're not going out there. And then they come in and they're, you know, grinning from ear to ear, soaking wet, having the time of their life, uh, when that could have easily been an opportunity for him to say, all right, Huck, let's take a nap. It's time to, you know, stay inside. We'll let the rain pass over and we'll, we'll go play later. But he took the time to actually, you know, make a mo- like make a point to make the most of this rainstorm, right? So just that piece of intentionality. Yeah, and I never dance with my dad in the rain. Ever, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, so yeah, I look at this and, uh, you're going to every state, right. Yeah. And, and this is also a good excuse to travel. Also an excellent excuse to travel. Totally. Right. Fair. <laughs> what was your background in traveling? Where, where had you been before all this started and how, uh, how much traveling have you done in your life before this? Definitely. So I, growing up, uh, my parents always made a point to every year we would go on some kind of adventure in the States specifically. Um, so growing up, I had been to San Francisco, Florida, Disney World, you know, numerous of times. Um, had kind of done some traveling in the U.S., um, but it wasn't until college that I actually got the chance to finally break free of the U.S. Uh, barrier, if you will, and got to spend three weeks in India as part of a study abroad through my university and um, spent some time in India. And, you know, as, as cliche as it is, just a totally different world and totally life opening experience to see, you know, walking through streets through a major city and there's cows walking right in the middle of the road towards you and towards oncoming traffic. And what should be a two-lane road is eight lanes of traffic, right? Um, just a completely different world. And then, uh, and then coming back to the United States, actually kind of having a reverse culture shock of coming back to the States and being like, oh, it's so different here. Like, <laughs> um, it's so secluded. It's so separate from everything. Um, so that was kind of my experience with traveling before the dad book. And I knew after college, um, I was thankfully able to, to go through school without that. And I came out of college debt-free and said, you know, what what can I do in the next year or two that's going to be something that I'll look back on the rest of my life and, and always be glad that I did, right? And I knew that I wanted to do some traveling in the States, and I thought, what better way to tie in this, this project with the dad book and to actually go to all 50 states to accomplish it. So um, I'm 49 states in. Hawaii is the last one. And thank you, COVID. This is proving to be the most difficult state to coordinate. <laughs> Yeah, India is uh, tough. I mean, you really threw yourself into the deep end. You didn't start like in Europe or anything. You just went right to India? I I had a nine-hour layover in France uh, that was supposed to be an adventure in itself uh, that ultimately ended up being a three-hour layover because of uh, extreme fog, shutdown of the airport while I was there. Uh, It was a whole whole chaos and I had to even get to India. But yeah, I, I went straight into the heart of a completely different world. <laughs> yeah, that that's culture shock. But uh, yeah. at least you had that perspective, and that's important. You know, exactly. So you took off, so now you're doing all the states, and talk about the van that you started out in, which you named Vanna White. Which uh, normally I would I wouldn't let that pun pass as a comedian, but I'm going to give it up. I'll let you have it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, These are tough times and I'm willing to let you have that. that one. I'll take, I'll take any break. So this, this van was a piece of work. It was an 85 Volkswagen. 85 Volkswagen van again. A uh, piece of work is an understatement. When I first <laughs> bought it, it had no working brakes. I had no idea how to actually drive stick shift. Um, I vividly just remember the first interaction I had with the guy that I was buying it from. And he said, all right, here's the keys. Like brakes don't work. We're on a backcountry road. Just put it in neutral and it'll eventually come to a stop. And I said, oh, like, that's all fine and great. I just don't know how to drive a stick. And he was like, well, dude, you just drove an hour and a half to get here. Like, are you serious about buying it? I'm like, yeah, like, I'll learn how to drive. But 
would you mind just driving me? So here he is, you know, selling me the car and he's driving me around and teaching me kind of how to drive stick at the same time. Um, so yeah, so I bought this 85 van again, a white van, you know, I'm going to go live out of this white van and travel the country. I, I'm sure my parents and professors at college were all concerned. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, the perfect van for this trip. I know when I took it to the mechanic to get the brakes fixed, to kind of get it mechanically ready for this, this, uh, you know, 15,000 mile journey. Um, I know the mechanic said, well, as long as you're okay with tossing a hundred dollar bill in a coffee mug and lighting it on fire, then a van again is the perfect car for you. <laughs> I said, well, it's, it's going to be a van that hopefully will draw attention to this project. I had it decked out with the dad book logo, the van all white across the front. Um, and it definitely did open up a lot of opportunities that I think had I picked just a regular old van or a regular old car to drive in would not have happened. So can I ask how much it cost? So I, I talked the guy down to $2,900 for the van. Whoa. Spent, so, you know, not, not bad for a 35 year old car. <laughs> yeah. But, Pretty good. I, I that's more than I thought it was. Well, and I was going to say for him, he still got a deal trying to sell a van that didn't have any With no brakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I spent about another $3,500 in repairs to, to get it road ready. Uh, so I was about 6,000, call it six and a half thousand dollars. Um, in the hole to start and then uh yeah it held up well on the road uh ended up having 10 breakdowns along the way but um it made it 36 states farther than i think i would have thought myself <laughs> yeah i had a friend with one of those old vw vans and they uh I, they have like no horsepower right you couldn't get up a hill mine when it rolled off the lot i think i did the math on it i think it had 90 horsepower when it rolled off the lot in 1985 and i think by the time i got it a leaf blower or a gas powered lawnmower could have gone faster <laughs> it, it was atrocious um the one the one sticker on the side read zero to 55 in 11 minutes um and that was as accurate as can be <laughs> <laughs> so you slept in this thing for the most part right i mean did you uh, go to established campgrounds? Were you sleeping in uh, Walmart parking lots? How did this work? Yeah, so I, I did the Planet Fitness route. So I got my Planet Fitness membership, the Black Card membership for $22 a month. It was the cheapest hotel that I've ever experienced. Um, Planet so Fitness? Go, so you, you like showered at the gym and stuff? Yep. So Planet Fitness, with them being 24 7, um, I was able to park in their parking lots overnight and then wake up in the morning, hop in the shower, fill up my water bottles. And, uh, and kind of go to the next plan of fitness. So it was definitely one of those that I would always ask for forgiveness rather than permission. So I never really walked into the gym and said, hey, I'm gonna be camping out in your parking lot. I just kind of parked in one of the parking spots that seemed safe and wait until somebody asked me otherwise, so. <laughs> how many, uh, many Planet Fitnesses are there in the, in the country? So I, I've slept at 45 different Planet Fitness locations. There are 1,100 in the States. Um, so they're, they're all over the place. And there's an entire map. And that, that's basically how I would plan my route. I would just look at the map and say, all right, I need to get to this big city. What Planet Fitness is close? Select that Planet Fitness, drive there, make sure it's a good, decent parking lot, good size, and then camp out. And then look at the map and choose the next Planet Fitness. So. <laughs> Yeah, and Wyoming and Montana on my recent trip, I actually like crashed a couple nights in my car in uh, public land. So I didn't know. I think on BLM land you can uh, sleep for free, from what I'm what I heard. I, and I did not know this my entire life. So did you do some of that? Yeah, between Planet Fitness, Walmart, and then the public lands, I, I also had never heard of um, that like that option. And I was in a couple of Facebook groups for van life and living in a van and people were mentioning, Hey, just look for public land and park there. And nobody should give you any issues. If anything, people will stop by and ask you where you're traveling to and give you recommendations where to go next. So, um, it's actually funny. You mentioned Wyoming, Montana, especially, uh, when I was in Wyoming, there was public land in Sundance. Um, so just West of Mount Rushmore and me and my buddy, uh, hung out there for a couple days actually, and made a, made a little, trip within the trip of it so did so how often did you have a friend with you i mean were you solo most of the time or did you have a friend most of the time yeah so i was solo for there was there was basically three legs of the van journey the first leg was michigan to florida florida to new orleans new orleans back to michigan for a buddy's wedding 
And then when I was on my way back to Michigan, my friend from college called me and said, as any recent college grad does, he, you know, hey, man, I don't really know what I want to do in my life. I'm getting my – I just finished my degree. Any chance you might if I ride out west of you? I was like, dude, absolutely. Like, be nice to actually have some company on this trip for once, and especially going through the big, massive states like Wyoming and Montana where there is nothing. <laughs> um, I thought it'd be it thought it'd be really nice to have a, a friend with me. So we drove out west from, from Michigan to, to Oregon, and then uh, I ended up riding back with him. So he followed me in his Jeep. And then I rode back home with him from Oregon to Kalamazoo um, and then flew back out to, to pick up the van again. I left it at a, a cousin's house there and then did the rest of the, the trip solo. So for the call it 10 states between Michigan and Oregon, uh, I had a buddy and that was probably the best part of the trip was actually being able to experience it with somebody. I think there's something to be said about Traveling solo, you learn a lot about yourself, but traveling with somebody, you can learn a lot about yourself while simultaneously getting to experience what you're experiencing with somebody else, right? So how did you find the dads that you featured in the book and did you stay with them or did you just hang out with them? Was, uh, with the van, it was definitely a little bit more complicated to uh, get a complete call a stranger to let me uh, sleep with them <laughs> uh, or stay at their house. And um, so yeah, so to line up the interviews, um, I had kind of done some work with local news networks to, to get the story published kind of in the news. And for them, from them, from those interviews, we were able to get that sent out to their satellite stations across the country. So I had people in California, New York, Florida, reaching out to me, Hey, just saw you on the news. Like I want to nominate my dad, um, or I know a guy that you should meet. Um, so kind of communicating with them via word of mouth and then, um, with kind of doing this project and with wanting to interview dads, I was kind of more apt to see articles of dads in the news or on Facebook or on social media and just kind of cold call, email them out of the blue and say, hey, like this is the project I'm doing. Would you be interested in being a part of this? And as much as I could, I tried to incorporate kind of what this is known for. So for Indiana, that's an Amish dad. For uh, Hawaii, it's going to be a professional surfer. So I tried to kind of incorporate what I wanted the interview to be for that state and then specifically sought out dads um, to kind of fit that mold. And then, yeah, just a good old cold call. Hey, I'm this guy living in a van. Any chance I can interview for this book I'm writing? Oh, well, this is probably the other obvious question that people are always asking you. Did you pay for all this yourself? Did you get sponsors? Did um, you know, do a GoFundMe? How did you foot the bill for all this. Definitely, definitely. So as I mentioned, I had come out of college debt-free, and I think that's ultimately what gave me the confidence to be able to do this. Um, I said, if I'm not going to take out debt or place myself in a financial hole in college, I might as well do that on this van trip. So I, uh, I started with a GoFundMe. I did this whole kind of Shark Tank-esque pitch, if you will, kind of put together a video explaining the project, um, put that out on social media, was able to raise a little over $3,400 just through GoFundMe. And that kind of was footed for gas, unexpected costs along the way. Um, before I had left, I had a final internship um, right after I graduated college, kind of saved up money like that. And when I left in the van, I had about $6,000 to my name. Um, and if anybody that owns a Volkswagen knows, $6,000 is not nearly enough to keep one of those cars going. So quickly burned through that. Um, <laughs> and then while I was on the road, kind of did some gate work, freelance work, um, websites like user testing. So um, websites that you can pull up from anywhere and you basically just have a list of tasks to go through on the website and make sure that it works and you get paid to do it. Um, so I would do that frequently. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of finding odd jobs here and there, um, sweeping people's <laughs> houses. Some of the dads I interviewed, I'd like sweep their house or do some lawn work for them. And they'd be like, all right, here's hundred bucks. Like, <laughs> actual food for once. <laughs> So looking back, would it have been cheaper to rent a van? Looking back, it would have been cheaper to literally do anything that I've done. Um, but I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade a single piece. The van, <laughs> the van opened up again, so many opportunities. Um, I think back even in, uh, when I was in Alabama, I was on Dauphin Island. So the southernmost tip of Alabama, there's an island on the Gulf. And I was there. And I parked in a church parking lot um, overnight and I was going to be in a car show the next day. And this guy walks by and he's like, oh, sweet, sweet man. I haven't seen one of those in, you know, millennium. And uh, he's like, you afraid of heights? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and he's like, well, do you want to go on a plane ride around the island? I was like, 
oh, okay. So here we are, struck up a conversation all 25 seconds earlier, walking to his plane, and we get to his plane, and there, and his niece was with him, and she goes, Nate, just so you know, there's like no doors or walls or windows on this plane. It's not a usual plane. And here I am thinking, all right, sweet, I just accepted this offer to ride on a plane, and I'm now going to get abducted and taken into the woods of Alabama. And sure enough, we show up, and it's a little uh, hang glider plane with a single prop engine in the back. And we took a 25-minute plane ride around the island, and the entire time he's, you know, showing me all the sights and sounds. And he says, yeah, i got to be honest, would have never done this, have never done this, but you seem cool enough to own a Volkswagen van and also dumb enough to own one, so I figured you could use a little... <laughs> Well, uh, enjoyment for the trip. <laughs> cool enough and dumb enough. The story exactly. of my life. <laughs> so, did uh, were there any nights that you just had like a rough night of sleep? Like you thought, well, this might not be so safe. What was your scariest night on the road? Scariest night on the road would have been when I was in California, actually. Um, the van, as I had mentioned, the van broke down 10 times along the way. And when I was in... Um, Fortuna, California, so Northern California, the van had broken down and wouldn't start. And that day, um, this would have been 2019, so last fall, about a year ago, actually, um, the wildfires were going on in California, as they are now, and they were shutting down the power for all of Northern California, and the wildfires were quickly kind of pushing their way north towards Fortuna. So here I am in a 35 year old van that won't start and the city that I'm in is without power. Um, and I just kind of pushed the van out of the side road, turned off the, or, you know, kind of pulled in the, the curtains, kind of bunkered down, made sure that nobody messed with me. Um, and then, yeah, the was finally able to figure out how to fix it. It was a wire that had become disassembled. Um, but the entire time that I was trying to figure out that wire, you know, I'm hearing the emergency evacuation sirens start going. I uh, can start seeing the smoke in the distance kind of coming. I'm literally like seeing hell coming towards me. And I'm sitting here trying to like fidget with this wire, trying to get it to start. <laughs> but that was definitely uh, definitely one of the scariest moments of the entire trip. Um, and yeah, kind of being in a city of people being like, we're not letting anybody in because we don't have power and we can't house anybody right now. So. So nobody ever knocked on the window of the van and told you to move along. You can't sleep here. So I was, I was asked, I, I, I was never kicked out of a plan of fitness, but I was kindly asked to leave very quick. <laughs> um, I was uh, two times in Eureka, California. So actually the night before the van died in Fortuna, um, I was at a plan of fitness and the mall security, like Paul Blart mall cop kind of guy comes up and he's, Hey man, uh, see a lot of you guys out here with these vanigans sleeping in them, but you can't spend the night here. You've got to go to that street over there. And on the street, there's RVs that have tarps over them and uh, tents and, and the whole nine yards. And Yeah. Those are homeless people. That, yeah, that's, what that is. That, that's a very kind way of me saying homeless people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I got uh, that. I live in near Venice. So uh, I'm yep. quite familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in a world of, PC. I'm trying to be PC and saying <laughs> no. Yeah, this, that's their home. I mean, that's their home. That's that's their home. <laughs> yeah. So your girlfriend never joined you on any of these trips? No. So she. Um, so my girlfriend and I actually started dating right before I took off on the bike. So the van ended up making it to Arkansas. So 36 states in. The van's engine finally kicked the can. Um, would have been January 30th of this year. Um, so I was able to get back home right before COVID started found a job right before COVID started, kind of worked that for the five months between Van dying and being his bike trip. And that's when I actually met my girlfriend um, and truly would not have been able to do the bike trip without her kind of support back home. Um, yeah, there were definitely moments on the bike that I <laughs> realized, holy crap, I'm pedaling 60, 70 miles a day and have nobody out here with me. This is <laughs> pure torture. Um, and she was definitely somebody I could lean on for support. So, wait. So around January thirtieth, your timing is Im impeccable because right as the quarantine starts and the COVID hits, your van breaks down and you get to go home, and then you got a job. So yeah, the van. The van. I like to think the van has a wisdom that only vanigans have, <laughs> and it it foresaw danger ahead. 
Uh, when the van broke down, I had all of about $160 to my name. Uh, again, as I mentioned, like blew through all the savings I had to, to get to 36 states. Um, and then, yeah, the van's engine uh, threw a rod right through the engine. Uh, so there's a fist-sized hole right through the center of the engine block. And um, was able to rent a U-Haul trailer um, from Arkansas back to, to Michigan for $140. Um, so I had $20 to my name when I got back to Michigan. And thankfully, was able to just pick up a, a manufacturing job placing stickers on boxes for all of $12 an hour. But it was a job and I needed the money fast. And I, I knew I was, it was going to be a temporary solution to, before I would get back on the road. Um, and then, yeah, all of two weeks later, the entire world kind of shut down and came to a screeching halt. And COVID happened. Um, and truly, I, I'm, it was the best case scenario for the worst case with the van dying. Because had the van kept on trucking along, I would have had $80 to my name, would have been trying to find a job out of Planet Fitness or something on the road um, just to save up some money to finish the final 14 states. And would have never been able to find a job with COVID, especially when it first kind of happened. Um, you know, we were truly on lockdown. I think it's so, we, we think about how far we've come and, and when it first happened, like nobody was going outside, nobody wanted to, to mess with it. Um, so thankfully, I, I truly think I'm thankful that the van actually died and allowed me kind of that opportunity to reboot at home. Um, and then, yeah, so that would have been end of January. And then I hit the road again, June 28th on the bike. So, so why did you choose to go on a bike and not get another car? Yeah. So kind of going back to the whole $160 to my name, um, <laughs> I, I knew that with 14 States left, so I basically had everything from northeast of west virginia virginia so i and new england was kind of the final portion of it um and i knew in order to buy a car that would actually last that long i'd probably have to spend at least three to four thousand dollars on the car um and and that would have meant you know saving up money for six to eight months and then dumping three to four thousand dollars into the car and then needing another you know two thousand dollars it was just a very expensive option to buy a car for what was you know only 14 states and ultimately got the $1,200 stimulus check and found a bike that was $1,200 because that was the thing. I knew if I was going to do a bike, it needed to be a good bike that was going to be able to actually make it that far. Um, so I was able to get the stimulus check for $1,200, bought a bike for $1,200, and then the bike just seemed like the most financially sound decision. <laughs> um, financially sound, physically impossible, but... <laughs> yeah. So what was your biking uh, background before this? Were you like into cycling? Was that your thing? I was not a cyclist. I uh, still am not really a cyclist. <laughs> I, uh, I, had, I had met a group of people when I was in Alabama, that same island actually with a plane. I had met a group of cyclists going from Jacksonville, Florida to San Jose, California. And um, that was actually the first time that I actually met a group of people. I, I had never realized that people do cross-country bike trips. I had never heard of that. Um, and they were the first people to actually kind of open my eyes to that. And when the van died, I kind of automatically started thinking in my head, how am I, I going to finish these last days? And I thought back to those cyclists and I said, all right, like if they were able to do it, I kind of kept up with them on social media and kind of saw how they were doing it. I said, all right, they make it you know, look relatively easy. It can't be that hard to, to bike, you know, 2,000 miles. And um, <laughs> how many people go, yeah, it can't be that hard to bike 2,000 miles. That, well, <laughs> how many people say it that way, really? Right, right. And I, and I think that's where I come from the background of having the van again, where it was like breaking down 10 times and just figuring out how this mechanical piece of metal works. Um, I figured a bike is going to be a lot easier to fix should anything break. And I feel like my two legs are more reliable than a 35 year old engine. So I would like to think that 2000 miles isn't going to be that hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, one uh, one horsepower as a as opposed to eighty horsepower. Well, 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 two horsepower, one horsepower for each leg. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. The You're a young so man. Uh, for me, it's one. <laughs> for me, it's one horsepower. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, uh, how many states have you hit on the bike? So on the bike, I did um, Arkansas. So so that was the thing. So I I went back to Arkansas, right where the van died. Um, had a little scale model of the van printed off, um, and kind of drop a little memento there in Arkansas and then started in Arkansas and rode up to Maine. So came out to, um, 
with the 14 states I have left, 13 of them would have been in the Northeast, including Hawaii. Um, so it ended up biking through 15 states, um, Arkansas to Maine. And then my girlfriend and buddy actually picked me up in Maine and we drove to Vermont. So Vermont was the final state in the actual states um, that was not done by bike or van. It was done by my friends picking me up and driving me there. <laughs> right. And you finally, you did get to Hawaii? So Hawaii is still, Hawaii is the last state I have. So I'm 49 states into this journey. Um, Hawaii is the last one. They're still on a pretty strict uh, 14 yeah. days. You just, you just have on the island. Yeah. Um, and they push that back to October 1st. So October 1st, they're supposed to review it. And then ultimately decide if they'll open it up to um, two people that come to the island with a negative COVID test. They'll allow you to enter the island and, and do as you please. Um, the way it is right now, if you actually show up to the island even with a negative COVID test, you still have to self-isolate for 14 days. Yeah. I had a friend just moved there and yeah, he had to lock down for 14 days. And they're serious about it too. $5,000 fine if you're not uh, partaking by that. And they, they are serious. There was, a, there was a guy actually on the news that was posting videos. I'm in Hawaii and I'm not following the rules. Next day, slap with a $5,000 fine. Right. So I, I know you've, you've obviously got a, like an Instagram page and uh, everything else. Uh, what is, how have people been following you on your journey as, on social media? Yeah, so Facebook and Instagram are my primary socials for the for the Dad Book project. It's the Real Dad Book um, on Facebook and Instagram. The Dad Book was taken by this guy in New Zealand, and I tried everything in my power to negotiate with him, but he wasn't willing to budge. So the Real Dad Book. We'll find um, it. The Real Dad yeah. Book. The Real Dad Book. Yeah. <laughs> not like that fake Dad Book that guy not in like New that, Zealand. Not the fake Dad Book. Not that guy yeah. from New Zealand. <laughs> right. Has the response been good? I mean, has it you seen it grow? Yeah, definitely. And that, that was the thing too, is I, I never wanted the trip or the journey to be something that I was, you know, constantly pedaling, no pun intended, but like constantly pedaling to friends and family and be like, Hey, promote this, promote this, promote this. I wasn't trying to build this, you know, 10,000 follower social media platform. I wanted kind of an organic team of people that were actually engaged with it. Um, I wanted people that were reaching out and saying, Hey, like, I just saw you today. I'm sitting in my nine to five office and you know, I'm on my lunch break and think what you're doing is so cool. While you're in Eureka, California, make, up, make sure to check out this restaurant. I wanted people to actually engage with it. Um, and yeah, no, the response has been great. Um, I've been able to meet a lot of really incredible people just through social media. I think, you know, it is so easy in today's world to see the negatives of social media, but I truly believe without Facebook or Instagram, this project would have never um, been able to, to go the way it has, right? Where people on Facebook reaching out and saying, hey, I just saw, saw your page. Um, I know a guy in Idaho and heaven forbid, I would have found a guy in Idaho that's wouldn't, would have otherwise not happened. <laughs> right. Uh, are you, well, in terms of the book, how's that coming along and yeah. why did you choose a book and rather than say like a movie? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So the book's coming along great. Um, about 30 chapters into the manuscript. Um, I've got another eight in kind of rough draft form and then kind of figuring out the final couple of interviews that I wasn't able to get while I was actually on the road. Um, so the manuscript's coming along great, about 60% of the way done with that. And yeah, for the book itself, I, I definitely do come from a background of like video is very natural to me when I was on the road, constantly posting videos, pictures of the trip, kind of putting together content pieces here and there for social media. Um, but I truly wanted something that was going to, you know, challenge me and make me take a step outside of my comfort zone. I had come from a background in finance. So my writing prior to the dad book was all very dry and analytical and Apple's fourth quarter revenue grew by 36.5%, you know, I'm riveted. I'm riveted, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're trying to, you know, pedal, pedal that, uh, kind of writing. Um, and the dad book has really allowed me kind of that creative outlet for, writing where I can, you know, create an actual story um, as opposed to, yeah, the cut and dry statistics of fiscal year 18. <laughs> right. Um, so do you have a, a publisher for this lined up or are you going to do it yourself? Yeah. So, so, so ultimately the plan is to get a publisher. I'm kind of waiting for the manuscript to be completed. I'm waiting for Hawaii to be completed. I wanted all 50 states to be done before I actually start reaching out to publishers. Um, really the plan is once I've got 40 of the chapters done for the manuscript, I figure that should be over 80% of the way done. 
Um, and then I'll start reaching out to publishers. I've got a couple friends um, connected with authors, and, and I'm kind of piggybacking off of their support to, to actually get plugged with agents to then find a publisher. So, Why do I get the feeling that Hawaii would be the one state your girlfriend have, will have no problem joining you on this journey? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, and that was the thing, too, is I was, I was kind of thinking of what state would ultimately be the last state when I was in Los Angeles with a band. I had kind of thought to myself, well, Hawaii is, you know, quote unquote, right there. Um, this would be the perfect time to go. And then I was kind of thinking it through and I said, you know, would I rather finish in Maine and Vermont? What at the time, what would have been, you know, December, January, did I want to finish there or did I want to celebrate on a tropical island finally achieving this 50 state, you know, bucket list checklist item? Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think that will be an easy convince for my girlfriend to tie it along with me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after all this is done, is there a plan to maybe do this uh, overseas? Maybe do an international version? Uh, the Dad Book sequel? I, uh, it's, it's definitely been something I've pondered. I, I definitely, now that I have seen so much of the States, I'm ready to see the world. Um, and I definitely have had some people reach out to me from Canada and, the, and Europe specifically saying, Hey, you know, when are you coming over to Germany? When are you coming over to Quebec to, to do the, the Dad Book International version? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm definitely focused on finishing the, the United States version first, and then we'll kind of let the, the cards play themselves after that. So it's definitely, it's definitely out there. It definitely exists. <laughs> yeah, because parenting styles are much different than, say, like Africa or China or something like that. You know, it could be kind of interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's an exciting thought that definitely, uh, I've considered. <laughs> what about, uh, work and building up your savings and maybe using that finance degree that your parents helped you get? Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so I'm actually, as I mentioned, moving out to Portland, um, and I'm actively seeking employment opportunities during a global pandemic while also saying, Hey, I'm moving across the country. Do you have remote opportunities? <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, the the job uh, search is is in in uh, in works, and uh, definitely got some some opportunities starting to pop up finally. So um, yeah, I'll you know start pursuing the career opportunities and uh, and then finishing the book at night and on the weekends. So so do you have a YouTube channel? I do. So it's it's Nate Timmons. It's not the the real dad book. It's just Nate Timmons. Um, and on the YouTube channel, I've posted more of the long form content from the dad book journey. So videos and kind of vlogs from the van, uh, me on the bike. And that's where you can find more of the long form four plus minute long videos for kind of the adventures of the dad book. Okay. What do you think all this has taught you all this, uh, everywhere you've gone, not just this is talking with the dads and everything like that, but what about just, you know, the travel, what has it taught you about yourself and about people? Yeah. So definitely um, the biggest takeaway I've had from this, and I, I love answering this, especially in the world we live in today, um, is that so often, you know, we see on the news, the world is coming to an end, COVID is taking over, people are sheltering in place, as we all should. Don't let me, you know, <laughs> preface by saying that. Um, but it, it truly, we live in such polarizing times that it feels like you can't even go outside and talk to your neighbor without having some kind of issue arise, right? And from the travels, from meeting all of these incredible people from across all different walks of life, from across the states, realizing that so often people do want to go out of their way to help you, right? And, and it's been reassuring to kind of have my faith in humanity restored. When my van was broken down in Billings, Montana, and I was in a Walmart parking lot for four days, I had people in the parking lot coming up to me, offering to buy me lunch and dinner. I had people from Australia messaging me on Facebook and saying, hey, um, I just contacted three dealerships in the area. Here's how fast they can get that part that you need. Um, just people going out of their way to, to make you feel at home and to, to just be a good human, right? And I think that's what I've learned the most is that there are still good people out there, that there is still faith in humanity. Um, and that I think really, if, if you don't agree with me on that, I think you should go outside and chat with your neighbor and find common ground. And I think you'd be surprised how quickly you can find common ground. Um, regardless of what political candidate's flag you're flying, right? Um, and I think that's what, I, what I've really learned the most just from a humanity standpoint. Um, and then kind of personally, I, I definitely feel like I have 
kind of overcome any and all adversities that were tossed my way. Um, and I think it was, it was definitely, a, an opportunity for me to grow and to feel confident in myself to overcome those challenges. Right. Um, I think had I done this five or six years ago and my van's engine died, I would have probably wrapped up the book with zoom interviews and called it good. Um, but you know, now that I've grown and kind of matured and had that opportunity with the van to overcome all the adversities that came along with it, just knowing that, oh, you can actually find creative solutions to overcoming issues. Um, and truly just having the confidence in yourself to actually do it. And I think so often it is hard to take that first step. Um, but once you take that first step, um, you know, everything else just kind of falls in place and, and the, the journey is as it should be. So. Yeah. I often think about that and like how much, you know, as someone who's traveled to every state and, and, you know, almost a hundred countries and, and things like that. When I am always struck by the kindness of strangers, but there's something, especially now in the climate, well, this has always been there, but did you ever stop as I have sometimes and ask myself, okay, yeah, that guy was willing to help me stuck on the side of the road. That guy came up to me and just, you know, chatted and offered a plane ride over Arkansas. But if I was say like, an African-American guy traveling alone, I mean, would they be so cool with me sleeping in the, on their, near their land or in their parking lot? And would I have been hustled off more times than the one time you were hustled off? You know what I mean? And, and it's those and, kind of things you think about. And you're like, mm, I don't know if it would, how easy would I be to walk in this small town in Montana and not be hassled? You know, it's weird my, to think my, about now. No, yeah, you you bring up an excellent point. My girlfriend and I have had many a conversation about that, and it's actually it's actually kind of funny you even say that too, because I when I was in Arkansas, um, the second day on the bike, I had quick stopped into a gas station to fill up my water bottles, and the gentleman working behind the counter was a um, was a guy from Egypt, and uh, he said, "What are you? You know, I'm decked out in all my bike gear," and he said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, I'm riding my bike from Arkansas to Maine." And verbatim, the guy said you white guys and he's laughing while he's saying it. you white guys can do you guys can do whatever you want <laughs> and uh i said no and they're like you're you are so right and it is so unfortunate that that is um that yeah is we take that we i mean they, they throw the, yeah. the word privilege around a lot but it, then i think about it and go yeah those things i just never thought about i never thought about like getting out of my car in this town wherever i am in the in the country and not being hassled or being followed by the local cops or somebody asking me what I'm doing there. They just kind of let me be. And yep. you're not even a freaky looking dude. You know, if you were like, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? You could have a long haired, yeah. uh, crazy looking dude piling out of that van with smoke billowing out and <laughs> they might've treated you different too. So it's, it's right. weird. You know, you, you, um, it gives you a lot of passage in places that I think, you know, a lot of people don't get. Yeah. Unfortunately, no, unfortunately, but, it is an advantage, you yeah, know, when you no. think about it. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that is something too, that I thought about many a time. Um, just as you do mention, uh, when I was in that par Planet Fitness parking lot, the, you know, mall security cop, instead of saying, Hey, I know you're going to be sleeping in your car. It could have easily been, Hey, what are you doing? Like, yeah. Get move it along. Yeah. yeah. Move it along. Get so, down to the next town. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I felt it just like driving a Prius with, uh, <laughs> with California plates. <laughs> in Wyoming, you know, just like, yeah, that'll get you some stairs. It's like easy yeah. rider. All over. Um, but so if you have a bucket list, uh, where do you want to go say internationally? What, what's the highest on your list? Uh, the, the bucket list for me next is to go to all seven continents. Um, that's, that's the next thing. So not necessarily a specific country, but, but knocking off all of the, all of the continents is the next goal. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a good goal. That was that was one of mine. I I didn't. The last one was Antarctica, and that's the toughest one to get to. So I I was lucky enough to get to that one a couple of years ago. So it, it's hard. It that was like, a hard one. It, it seems like far away islands, large islands, are always the toughest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's pretty as as far as you could go, and it's expensive to get down there. But luckily, I was working, yeah. so that that's what got me there. If you don't if you don't mind me asking, isn't it about ten thousand dollars to get to Antarctica these days, or uh, depends on how you want to do it. I mean, getting to the South Pole is really, really hard. I mean, that's really right. expensive. But right. uh, I was working on a cruise ship, so you could do uh, okay. that. Um, gotcha. You know, based out of, uh, you go to the southern tip of Argentina, down yep. in like Tierra del Fuego, and on there was in Ushuaia. 
and that's where yep. I met the ship. So, and you're only seeing a little arm of Antarctica. You know, you're it's, it's so huge. I mean, you're you're not going to see the, a lot of it, but yeah, we got there right. and walked around with the penguins and stuff. But yeah, but if I had paid for it, and this was a high end cruise, yeah, it would have been tens of thousands of dollars. So yeah, lucky and, you can get a job working on a ship or something that helps. Yep. That, that, okay. No, this is good. This is good. I'm all for creative, creative ideas to get. There. Yeah. Um, and, and you mean to tell me it wasn't the edge of the earth. The, the earth's not flat. It kept, it was actually, Antarctica. yeah, it fell off the bottom. You can see the end of it right there. Yeah. Just, but it, yeah, it's infinity. You just walk over it and then boom, nothing. Yeah. It's, uh, it is. It, it is unfortunate. We live in a world where we have to ask those questions. I can't. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't get me. We'll be here all day getting me started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just if you got a long road ahead of you, and it's you got a lot to see, and it'll be great. And hopefully, things will get healthier. You know, and right. I, I realized don't take it for granted because it can be yeah. shut down at any point. You know, I, we had the most valuable passport for many, many years, and now it's it's not worth much. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, no, yeah. hopefully it'll be worth something again soon. But right. yeah, you can see how one trip abroad changed your complete perspective on life. You Absolutely. Know? And, Absolutely. And if travel can do anything, that's what it can do. I mean, you'll see a lot of people, I'm sure you know people that had never been out of the Midwest. I knew people yeah. growing up in Illinois that had never been, never seen an ocean. Yeah. You know, and I realized how lucky I, I was and I am. You know, yeah. so don't take that and your health for granted. And you're already moving across country, so that's that's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's exciting times. It's it's scary times, but it's also exciting, right? Yeah. So, so uh, tell people again where they can find you. Give the name of your uh, all your social media stuff and and where people can learn more about you and the book. Yeah, definitely. So on Facebook and Instagram, it's the Real Dad Book. Uh, again, that's kind of where I've posted pictures and videos and kind of stories from the road. Um, and then my website is therealdadbook.com. And that's kind of a more comprehensive what the dad book is, how I've been doing it, how I've been funding it all. So yeah, yeah that's where I'm at on the, uh, on the internet sphere. And uh, yeah, I'll be out in Oregon if anybody's in the Portland area listening in. Uh, love to meet up and kind of talk about travel adventures. I got friends up there. It's a great city. You'll love it. But I appreciate I'm, you I'm doing excited. this, man. Thanks for reaching out to me too. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, thanks for setting this all up. I, I really enjoyed doing it. All right, man. I appreciate it. Nate Timmons, everyone. Oh, thanks, Mike.